So I know um, your reading program has you in the book of Acts right now. So what I decided to do is we're going to, for the next few weeks, we're going to go through the book of Acts together, kind of a, just an overview. And uh, so we're going to start this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, feel free to open up. But uh, we'll have it uh, up on the screen for you. I'm going to shoot along here. So Acts chapter 1. If you remember, just a few weeks ago, we were in the Gospels. It was Passover time. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. We learned that he spent 40 days teaching his disciples. And then he ascends up to heaven. But before he goes, he tells the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise I told you. The Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on them in power. So if he was with them 40 days, we got a week to 10 days that they've got to wait. And after Passover, 50 days later, so this is coming up to the 50th day, is the next festival, Shavuot or Pentecost. So he's got a time that he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on the next major Jewish festival, which is brilliant for lots of reasons. Not the least of which is, all sorts of people have flooded into Jerusalem for Passover, and that's when the big events took place. He gets crucified. Then they go home. And then more people flood in for the next holiday, Shavuot, when the disciples are going to proclaim his name. So in chapter 2, that's exactly what happens. The disciples miraculously proclaim the name of Jesus. They're given the ability to speak in the languages of all the people there. And they don't know these languages. And everybody knows they don't know these languages. So they hear this sound from heaven. And then these guys start speaking in languages they don't know. And Peter preaches the gospel. And it says 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. Chapter 2. Chapter 3. Peter's on his way to the temple, and he heals a lame man. And huge crowds of people see it, so he takes advantage of the crowds, and he preaches the gospel to them. Now remember, Jesus was just killed for pretty much preaching the gospel, in a sense. And so now his disciples are doing the same thing. So after Peter heals this guy, the leaders grab a hold of him and John and arrest him. Let me read to you what happened. I'm in Acts 4 now. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to be about 5,000. So we go from 3,000 to 5,000. And the next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. It's kind of, it's funny. They were jealous of Jesus. They hated Jesus. They wanted to stamp him out and his message. So they killed him, and they thought they were done with this. Now it's exploding like wildfire. His disciples are doing even more. Annas the high priest was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. So they're arrested by the same guys that had Jesus arrested. Jesus was killed. So you can imagine what's going through their minds right now. Maybe they're going to be killed. This is a dangerous situation. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, All right, I got to stop again. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. What is this filling of the Holy Spirit thing? It happened in Acts chapter 2, and they spoke in different languages. They're healing people. First of all, the Holy Spirit is God. When the scripture says that somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, it means that God 
comes into them and infuses them with power and the ability to do something that they couldn't do on their own, like heal, like speak in a language they don't know, like speak? Yeah, because what we're going to see happen right here is that Peter isn't going to use his own words. He's going to be inspired to speak God's words. Not only is this awesome, but this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus told them this would happen. Matthew chapter 10, listen to what Jesus told them. He said, beware of men. They will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you. They will whip you in their synagogues and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given to you that same hour what you shall speak. It's not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaks in you. So this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. When I leave, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be brought before rulers. Don't mount a defense. Don't sit down and worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit of my Father will speak through you. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, so now we know Peter's speaking, but it's God speaking through Peter. So these are really God's words. Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, I don't know about you, but this is funny to me. These are God's, God is choosing these words for Peter. And he says, if you've arrested us for showing kindness to a cripple, that's just funny. I don't, I, maybe you've got to be Jewish to get it. It's like, what's our crime? We were nice to a lame guy? Are you arresting us because we helped somebody who is miserable? What's wrong with you people? You're, wha you're, you're whacking the head. You just arrested us because we healed a cripple. Is that against the law? Did we do a bad thing? All that's being said in that statement. And that's why I find it humorous. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Remember, dangerous situation. They could be executed too. They know Jesus was just executed. And now they have the opportunity to be very careful with what they say. <laughs> but oh no. You killed Jesus the Messiah. That's what they said. Then know this and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus the Messiah whom you crucified, whom God rose from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They're pulling no punches. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Now, they're talking about prophecy, messianic prophecy, and saying you guys fulfilled the very prophecy that said the leaders would reject the main capstone. You did it. He's the capstone. You rejected him. Then they say this, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So for the next few weeks, my sermon is the Acts of the Apostles. This is part one. But it's the Acts of the Apostles, their miracles and their message. So I want to make sure we see the things they did 
and hear the things they said. The Acts of the Apostles. I suppose if this was translated today for the first time, we wouldn't use the word apostles. Nobody uses that word. An apostle is an ambassador or an emissary, a representative. And so it might be the deeds of Jesus' representatives. That might be what the book is called today. The things Jesus' ambassadors did, and you know for me, and said. So the Gospels are all about what Jesus did. The book of Acts are what his followers did after he ascended to heaven. And boy, are they being used in a mighty way. So let's look at their message. Number one, first of all, they called Jesus the Messiah. Remember when he was crucified? Here's Jesus, the king of the Jews. Oh, don't say he was the king of Jews, but he said he was the... Listen, they're not pulling any punches. He is the Messiah. That's the first thing that they say. Second, he was crucified and raised from the dead. This is the message. Jesus is the Messiah. He was crucified and he rose from the dead. And then this powerful statement. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which which we must be saved. First thing I want to point out to you is that these are Jews talking to Jews. These are Jews telling other Jews they have to believe in Jesus if they want to be saved. The reason this is significant, because here we are 2,000 years later, and most of the followers of Jesus are not Jews. They're Gentiles, Christians. And there are some Christians, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, and if it was 10, I wouldn't be talking about them, tens of thousands, who think that Jewish people don't need to believe in Jesus to be saved. Jesus is for the Gentiles. The Jews got Moses in their own way. And I'm thinking, what? This is... If Jesus isn't for Jews, he's not for anybody. These are Jews talking to Jews. And here's what they say. Salvation is found in no one else. Now, this makes people uncomfortable. It's very exclusivistic. It's saying that all the other religious beliefs in the world are wrong. Well, you can't say that today. That hurts people's feelings. You know, it's not like I want to hurt people's feelings. But this is what the apostles said. Oh, and by the way, that's what Jesus said, too. Do you remember what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus was very exclusivistic. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. Any other belief system will not do it for you. It doesn't matter if it offends you. You need to know the truth. Jesus isn't going to coddle your feelings and then let you go to hell. He's going to tell you the truth and give you the one route out of hell. Now you can choose to accept it or reject it, of course. Are we saying that people that don't believe in Jesus, that we hate him and despise them and treat them poorly? Of course not, because none of us are born to believe in Jesus. It's funny, when I, um, people try to pigeonhole me sometimes, and they probably do the same to you. Are you saying if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell? Or they make it even worse. Are you saying that your Jewish grandparents who died in the Holocaust because they didn't believe in Jesus, they're going to hell? Make it all emotional and personal like that? I like to change it around a little. I say, you misunderstand me. I'm not saying just Jews go to hell. I, everybody's going to hell. That's what I say. I say, no, no, don't, don't misunderstand me. I think we're all going to hell. Baptists, Catholics, Buddhists, Hindu, everybody who's born is going to hell. Unless they get saved. And Jesus saves. That's the way I'd like to say it. 
So is it exclusivistic? Well, yeah, but so what? Kind of like you may, you, you're drowning in the ocean and a lifeguard comes to save you and you go, no, I don't want you to save me, send another lifeguard. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? It's just, hey, it's the lifeguard. Get saved or don't get saved. This is your one and only option. I know it's more emotional than that. I, I understand there's a lot more that goes into it than that. But the apostles weren't pulling any punches, so I'm not going to pull any punches. I just want to tell you what they said. Their lives were on the line. They were under extreme pressure, and they did not cave in. I know a lot of pastors today, a lot of preachers will not say this. They will not say, Jesus is the only way. They don't want to offend people. Maybe they don't believe it themselves. They, they, they must not believe it, because how can you believe that and then not say it? Or tell other people they're okay in whatever they believe. So I, I go onto YouTube. I don't know what I put in there. Something like popular pastors that don't say Jesus is the only way. And you're going to be surprised at what I found. Let me show you the video. If we can kill the lights and take a look. Uh, we've had ministers on who said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you are, you are going to heaven. And if you yeah. don't, no matter what you've done in your life, yeah. you ain't. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, there's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ. But I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. And I think it's a cop-out to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever do anything to well, help What anybody. if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? You know, I, I just, I'm very careful about saying who and would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. I think only God. you believe you have to believe in Christ. I so believe they're, they're wrong, aren't they? Well, people? I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches. And from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God can judge a person's heart. I've spent a lot of time in India with my father. And, uh, you know, I don't know all about their religion. But I know they love God. And I don't know. I'd have to, you know, I've seen their sincerity. So... I don't know. I just, I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. But Phoenix, Arizona, hello. Hello, Larry. You're the best. And thank you, Joe, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way that the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then That's a what Jew is not going to hell. No, I. I, I can. Well, here's my thing, Larry. Is I can't judge somebody's heart. You know, I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart, and so I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches, and I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going, because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm but not going to be the God. you believe your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But For someone who doesn't share it, well, it is wrong, isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 well, I don't know if I look at it like that. I would, I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So you make no judgment on anyone? No, but I... About atheists? No, I just, you know what? I let, I let somebody, let, I'm going to let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and hell. And I just, again, I present the truth. And I say it every week, you know, I believe it's a relationship with Jesus. But, you know what, I'm not going to go around telling everybody else. If, if they don't want to believe that, that's going to be their choice. God's got to look at your own heart. God's got to look at your heart. And only God knows that. I've never sat in front of a national broadcaster 
asking me the tough question, do you say all the Jews and Muslims are going to go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? But if I ever get that opportunity, I pray I won't fold. I won't cave into pressure. You know, that video it makes me mad. It makes me sad, too. It gets my, all my emotions going. I mean, the guy was asking for a straight answer, and he just couldn't give him one. He just didn't want to say anybody was wrong. When you're not willing to say anybody's wrong, you're implying that Jesus was wrong. Because Jesus said it just plain as day. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So that's what the apostles said. Now let's see what the leaders did in response. First of all, they acknowledged that the lame man was actually healed. They didn't try to say, oh, you did a trick or this was all a setup. There was no way away from it. Listen, they said in verse 16, what are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. I think that's just cool. We're, we're stuck, dudes. And yet at the same time, then they should be begging the apostles to forgive them and asking how to be saved. But they're trying to come up with a way of punishing the disciples even though they recognize that a divine miracle was done. These guys are evil. They're blind. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead... The guards came before some of the leaders and said, this is what happened, and they paid them money to keep quiet. When Lazarus rose from the dead, some people followed Jesus as a result of it. Others went off and tattled. You know, when God gets active and people get bold, a line is drawn in the sand. A lot of us, we feel comfortable on the fence but that's an interesting statement on the fence. Because if you're on the fence, you're not in. It's just that simple. You're not in. So they first, in their response, they acknowledged that a lame man was healed. Secondly, they asked how he was healed, which, of course, opened up the door for testimony. Verse 7, they said, by what power or what name did you do this? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let me tell you. And, of course, you read. They did. Thirdly, they were astonished at the apostles' brave and intelligent response. They were, you know, this is the Sanhedrin. This is the Supreme Court. They execute people. They had Jesus executed just, you know, 50 days ago or whatever it was. These guys are unlearned fishermen. They should be cowering before these learned rabbis who have their lives in their hands. Oh, no. And they were amazed. They were impressed. These guys are brave, and they're smart, which is surprising, because in those days you had the educated and the uneducated, and they were considered the uneducated. Of course, in the Jewish community, everybody had some education. A universal education pretty much was, you know, a Jewish thing. But they weren't highly educated like these guys were, so they thought they could just shout them down and make them feel stupid, but it didn't work. And that brings me to the fourth response, which is the one that excites me the most. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So that's the fourth response. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let me tell you something. I bet you you've seen this too. Christians, 
people come up to us and say, there's something different about you. Why are you so different? If you've heard that, let me see your hand. Yeah, they take note that you're with Jesus. See, what happens is you're living your life a certain way, you encounter Jesus, and then you live your life a certain another way. And it's very different than everybody else. You know, everybody's at work swearing. You're not. They're putting people down and talking behind their backs, but you're not. They're stealing from the company. You're not. They're asking other people to clock into it for them when they're not there. You're not. And when they ask you to do it, you say no. But yet you're a nice guy. You're a wonderful woman. And they're confused about you. Why are you so different? And then you get the opportunity to tell them. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Chapter 4. Now we move on to chapter 5. The apostles heal many more people and preach at the temple. You've got to understand, they're not doing this in the backwards. This is not the, the uh, backwoods. They're not the underground church. They're the in-your-face church. They're at the Temple Mount itself where everybody's gathered around and they're telling people about Jesus and healing people right up there on the Temple Mount. Could you imagine? You, you work for the establishment and you're watching people get healed left and right. What do you do? You should come to faith. But you don't. You get arrested. You arrest them. And they're arrested again. This time an angel releases them from jail. And they go right back to preaching. It's awesome. And then they get arrested again. All this in chapter 5. And then they're going to kill him. But one of the rabbis, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, a guy named Gamaliel, Gamaliel happens to be, he had a very famous student named Saul, who we'll read about in a few chapters. He says, guys, you better be very careful what you're about ready to do. If these men are not of God, nothing's going to come but what they say. But if they are of God and you kill them, you're going to find yourself fighting God. Just leave them be. Persuaded, they let him go after they beat him, threaten him anyway. So now we know we've got well over 5,000 just men saved, let alone women and children. The church has gone from basically 70 to thousands. And people keep coming to the apostles because there's administrative needs. You know, we've been collecting our money and distributing it, but the Greek women are getting, you know, the Greek Jews are getting second-class treatment. Apostles do something. And the apostles are like, it's not appropriate for us to stop serving the word of God and prayer to deal with waiting tables. You guys, you can deal with this yourselves. Listen, pick seven godly men. Let them deal with these things. We've got work to do. So they chose seven men. Now we call people in that capacity deacons. You know, it's funny. We've got things all backwards. You know, we shouldn't use the word deacon. That's not an English word. You know what the English word is for deacon? Minister. Servant. So we've got the elders today acting as ministers, and the deacons, I don't know what they're doing. We've got it backwards. Deacons minister to the people. We're trying to get it right at Book of Life. In fact, I just called one of our deacons this last week, emailed, said, hey, there's a guy in the church I'd like you to meet. He needs somebody to talk to. All right, cool, I'd love to do it. So these guys are picked, and they, their job is to handle the things in the church that distract the apostles, 
so the apostles can do what they're called to do. And so that's kind of how it is in, in churches today. The deacons handle the things that distract the elders from the work that the elders need to do. Seven are cho chosen. One of them is named Stephen. That's chapter 6. In chapter 7, Stephen goes out to preach the gospel. And the crowd gets so mad, and the Sanhedrin's there, the Supreme Court, that they pretty much rush him out of the city and stone him. So Stephen is martyred. He's the first martyr since, you know, after Jesus. Famous to this day for giving his life for the Lord. Chapter 8, we learn that a teacher named Saul, Gamaliel's disciple, was there. But he wasn't just there. He was consenting to his death. He was active. He was a participant. I don't know if he threw a stone, but he was definitely cheering the guys on. So Saul, I don't know, in his zeal and in his bloodlust, goes on a persecution spree of the young church. Now, I use that word church, you know, kind of out of time. I could just as well say the young synagogue or the followers of Jesus at this time. He goes on a persecution spree. So all the believers, these thousands of people, but especially the leaders, they scatter. One of the deacons, his name is Philip, and he goes to Samaria. Now, Samaria bordered Israel. In fact, kind of Israel almost surrounded Samaria. It's not that different than kind of South Tucson. We have a city called South Tucson inside of Tucson. How weird is that? You know, it's a one square mile, and we surround it all, on all four sides, but they're right in the middle of us. In a sense, it was like that. And we go to South Tucson for the food, and then we run out before sundown. <laughs> I talked to a cop the other day, told him some of my favorite restaurants are in South Tucson. He says, I don't go to South Tucson. It's too dangerous. <laughs> oh. Well, Samaria was the place nobody wanted to go to. It wasn't because it was too dangerous. It was because the Jewish people and the Samaritans got along like, I don't know, water and oil. The Samaritans thought they had the true religion. The Jews knew they had the true religion. They were both wrong. The Samaritans were more wrong. The Jews had the true religion. They just weren't following it right. The Samaritans didn't have the true religion, and they weren't following it right either. <laughs> so they didn't like each other. Samaritans were kind of like half-breed Jews with a different religion. They were like a cult. So the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them. And they thought they were superior to the Jews, and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. So for some crazy reason, one of the deacons goes to Samaria. What a godly man. Who would dare do that? He learned from the best. He was Jesus' disciple. Jesus went to Samaria. He met a woman at the well and treated her well. Hey. <laughs> So he goes down to Samaria, he preaches the gospel, and the craziest thing happens. They believe and they get saved. So Philip sends for Peter. Says, Peter, you're not going to believe what just happened. I was in Samaria. So Peter comes down to check it out, finds out that it's all good. He prays for them, lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Just like happened to them a few days ago in Jerusalem. And they speak in other languages. It's the same thing. They recognize that God is showing the same favor to them, that God doesn't see any difference between Samaritans and Jews now. And this is blowing everybody's mind. Good old Philip, man. What a man of God. Philip the evangelist. Then God says, there's a road to Gaza. Take it. So 
So Philip goes on the road. Let me read to you what happened after that. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the deserted road, or the desert road, pardon me, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an, import, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. All right, the Ethiopian um, kingdom at this time was wealthy and uh, prestigious and powerful. This man was in charge of the treasury. So this was an extremely high government official. And we know that even though he's a Gentile, non-Jew, he just went to Jerusalem to worship. Now, there's two types of non-Jews that worship the God of Israel in the Bible. They're, they're proselytes or God-fearers. The proselytes are called proselytes. So obviously this guy's not a proselyte. He's not called a proselyte. He's just called an Ethiopian. So he's a God-fearer. That means he believes in God, but he doesn't want to take that step of becoming a Jew. I mean, circumcision is not appealing. And if you don't have to do it, you don't. So he says, you know what? I'll follow the God of Israel, but I'm just going to do it from the sidelines. I'm all right with that. That's safe, comfortable enough for me. So Philip sees him reading the book of Isaiah. Philip approaches the chariot. The eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Why did he ask Philip that? How would he assume Philip would know? Because Philip's a Jew. Of course he would know. Just like all your Christian friends, when they have a Bible, all your friends who know you're a Christian, when they have a Bible question, they ask you. They figured you would know. They figured Philip would know he's a Jew. And Philip did know. Philip began at that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I do believe. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. So he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And then it's really cool. It says the Holy Spirit took Philip and brought him somewhere else, like transported. And the treasurer was just there rejoicing in his new faith and probably in the miracle he just saw. So we looked at the apostles' message a few chapters ago. What's Philip's message? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Messiah, and he's the Son of God. Same message, different words. But I need to point out one, one more thing before I finish this morning. Um, baptism is permitted to those who believe with all their hearts. Uh, the Catholic Church is one of the biggest uh, Christian denominations, so-called, in the world, and they baptize babies. And they're not the only ones that baptize babies. Some other liturgical churches baptize babies, too. And the question is, is that appropriate? Well, there's no biblical instance of a baby ever being baptized, but there's lots of instances of adults being baptized. And when the eunuch said he wanted to be baptized, Peter told him what was required. If you believe with all your heart. 
So that's our principle, our policy here at Book of Life. We baptize people who believe with all their hearts. So that means they have to be old enough to understand who Jesus is and what he did for them. Um, so we don't have an age limit for baptism, but we don't baptize babies. We want to make sure they're old enough to make that decision. What we do here is baby dedications. And a baby dedication is when a parent brings their infant child and promises to raise that child to believe in the Lord so that when the child makes a profession of faith, then we can baptize that child. Maybe they'll be seven, maybe they'll be 10, maybe they'll be 27, maybe they'll be 57. Only they know. So to wrap it up, we've looked at eight chapters of Acts. Next week, we'll look at a few more, and the following week, a few more. In these chapters, we saw the miracles and the message of the apostles. God had them doing these great miracles to give them an audience so that they could preach the message. The message is this. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He died for our sins and rose again. There's salvation found in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. When the Ethiopian eunuch heard the gospel, he rejoiced and immediately wanted to be baptized. He was already a God follower. He just needed to hear the rest of the story. I wonder where you are this morning. You here with me this morning, you online. Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Full-born commitment to be a God follower. And if not, I'd encourage you to do so. And then contact the office so that we can schedule your baptism. Please bow your heads in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the word of God and for the boldness of the apostles. And I pray for Pastor Joel Osteen. Again, I don't know if he just caved in under pressure or if he really doesn't believe. That's not for me to know. But I do pray for him that if he's not a true believer, he would become one and bless his church. And if he is a true believer, he would get bold and strong and decisive. He leads the biggest church in the nation. He can impact so many people. Please help him to do so. For all the other churches, Lord, all the other pastors, all the other Christian, be they laymen or deacon, that you would bless them, give them boldness to proclaim the name of Messiah, not in arrogance and not in meanness, but with boldness and humility. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.